0: This is Judy Matheson, British actress from Hammer Horror and lots of other things. And uh, I think you should listen to the wonderful
1: Without Your Head. the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. I'm
0: Treacherous Trista.
1: And we're joined by the returning Stacey Lane Wilson. Hello. Welcome back. And uh, co-author of her book, which we'll talk about, Kurt Lambert. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. It's good to have you both here.
2: Thanks Great for having us. Here.
1: Yeah. So first of all, when did you first uh, both of you first uh, work together? How did you know? How do you know each other?
2: Oh, well, we've known each other for several years. Kurt was a zombie in my uh, feature directorial debut. It's called. Glad you added in a movie. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, we met
3: before the movie, but yeah.
2: That's true, but yeah, that was a long time ago, though, right? I mean, gosh, we've been known each other for a long time.
3: Twenty thirteen, I think we met. Yeah. Yeah. And we've
2: collaborated on several things since, but this is our first literary collaboration, if I can be so highbrow about it. <laughs> our series of horror books, Rock and Roll Nightmares, and uh, Kurt contributed a story for the 1970s edition.
1: Uh, Kurt, which came first, uh, acting or uh, writing?
3: Um, but, 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 but probably acting came first, although I wrote... Uh, my first play when I was in fourth grade called the groovy George Washington that was uh, produced in fourth grade. Um, but no, I've been acting since then before then as a kid, you know, putting on the shows for everybody. Um, but I didn't start, I started writing screenplays first. And then, uh, the last several years I've been writing short story fiction, which I love. Wow. Stacy was sweet enough to ask me to, contribute a story because she has read i think one or two of my other stories Mm -hmm. yeah and so she asked me to uh to to pick a title so i picked long ghoul woman in a black dress (laughs) because every every title is a takeoff on a 60s 70s or 80s song so long cool woman became long ghoul woman
1: Along those lines, I love that you have uh, on your website. You have the um, the playlist. You can go and listen to the to the music. You yeah, know.
2: absolutely. It's on Spotify. So yes, if people want to listen and read along, then they can do that. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, evocative of the times. Um, for Kurt, you know, I had asked him to draw upon his real life experience as a rock and roll DJ. So he did that and added a. a ghostly twist to it but you know the people that contributed stories all have some kind of connection to rock music whether it be as a fan or a musician or somebody who was in the business and um, I loved Kurt's kind of unique take because he's I think the only DJ I know (laughs) back in the day
1: (laughs) what were what what were the guidelines um, you give people you know to be part of the book
2: Uh, Well, they were fairly loose, Um, you know, not adhered to a certain word count. Um, I did ask them to choose from a list of wacky titles um, because the the book is uh, the books are comedy as well as horror. So they're kind of, um, you know, puns on horror titles. Uh, For instance, the book that Kurt is in is uh, Do You Fear Like We Do, which is a takeoff, of course, on Peter Frampton's Do You Feel Like We Do. So all the titles of the stories are similar to that kind of punny and fun. So, yeah, so that's the one that Kurt picked. And he had a choice to go with any of the decades.
1: So what
3: uh, what was it about the 70s for you, Kurt? Well, I was, as a teenager and into college, I actually was a DJ on some small FM stations back in Indiana. And uh, I'm older than I look. So uh, the 70s were my, my musical heyday. Um, so I, uh, I just drew on that. And uh, this, the radio station in the story is very much like one of the radio stations I worked. I mean, the description of the whole building and everything is uh, very much just uh, a description of one of the radio stations I worked at and uh, back in Indiana. So uh, you know, I I know a lot more about the 70s and the 60s music, the early 80s, and then you know you reach a stage where you kind of like start zoning out. Of uh, so I was kind of stuck yeah. in the 70s, you know.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think everyone understands that. I think everyone thinks the music, the modern <laughs> music to them are no good, is no good.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I remember working for a guy when I first hit Hollywood who said uh the fifties, the nineteen fifties, is the best music ever. Anything after that's crap. And I'm looking at him going, you know. But now I probably feel the same way about the you know seventies and early eighties. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you know myself, someone who likes you know whatever it is today. But then I always tell myself, uh, you know, I'm sure that you know people my age when I was a kid didn't like the music I liked. So. Right uh was there any ghost was there any ghost i'm sorry was there any ghost uh when you were a dj (laughs) was Uh,
2: that part true
3: (laughs) no no, that part's not true uh although uh he has a romantic uh past that's alluded to which i drew on some of my crash and burn romantic relationships uh broken hearts stuff in my own life to throw a little flavor of that into it for the disc jockey who's who was at the pinnacle at a 50,000 watt rock and roll station, CKLW, if anybody knows that in the Midwest back in the day, that was uh, Detroit Windsor. And that was uh, heard all over many States and was the rock. And so he's due to a, uh, a female problem that he runs into. He's now, ban- he's now his careers. He's working at a thousand watt radio station in a little town in Indiana, where all this story takes place. So um, I never worked at a 50,000 watt radio station, but, okay.
2: Well, Kurt's story could be a playlist all in of itself. You know, you have, he's got the DJ's whole, you know, playlist going throughout the story. And it's a lot of fun to read it and kind of imagine the songs playing as, as the uh, horror happens.
3: That was fun because long, cool woman's from 72. So I just put together a list of 72 and a little bit of late 71 songs. And then I try to pick songs that actually kind of worked. If you actually look at it, they work with plot kind of what's going on or what's alluding to or what's uh my yeah
2: it takes place on halloween night very yes. atmospheric mm-hmm. very cool yeah this we have a lot of, of uh, stories in there one of the stories that i wrote in that edition the 70s edition is saturday night fever which is kind of like a saw movie meets disco and these disco stars are picked off one by one by a rock fan through various means like uh, disco balls that fall from the ceiling and crush them and platform shoes that you know fall into you know are, are beamed at them and um they have to do the hustle until they practically pass out so it's kind of you know fun stuff like that coming up with um different kind of ways to kill people musically
1: great i saw the, uh, the 70s one was sold out on your website
2: yeah yeah it did um and so, yeah, I have uh, signed copies on my site, but that one in particular, people just really seem to love that one. That's
1: very cool. Uh, Tris, did you have a question?
0: Stacy? you also have a new film coming out, uh, The Second Age of Aquarius. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, it's a uh, rock and roll, surprise, surprise, sci-fi comedy. Um, there's no horror to it, but I kind of – my elevator pitch is um, – the Odd Couple Meets Weird Science Meets Oliver Stone's The Doors. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's about a young computer programmer. Um, she loves this rock star who died at the age of 27 in 1970, and she works for a company called Musatec that is building celebrity avatars. But on her own time, she wants to build this avatar of Russell Aquarius, her favorite. And, um, he, he comes back as an avatar, very lifelike and, uh, comedy ensues.
3: So he's an avatar. I was always thinking that somehow it was like in my story, she, she got the real guy back. So this is, so it's an avatar.
2: Well, he, he kind of is. He's sort of a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really explained because he is flesh and blood. Um, But, you know, it's kind of like Weird Science, if you can remember that movie from the 80s. That's kind of the jumping off point. And I wrote it with Darren Gordon-Smith from Repo the Genetic Opera, which is uh, another rock and roll sci-fi horror film. So Darren wrote all period correct songs from the 60s as if he was Russell Aquarius. And our lead actor, Michael Ursu, who does sing and play guitar, does the vocals. So when the movie comes out, we'll have um, a soundtrack to go with it and a book. So we've got a lot of stuff coming that's going to be really fun.
1: Yeah, uh, it's probably too early, but uh, you said when it comes out, do you know, like how it will come out? Will it? Uh, will you have physical copies? Will it be video on demand or
2: uh, probably BOD. You know, um, my music documentary on the Ventures, Stars on Guitars, came out um, about eight months ago now, and I've been really happy with the VOD format you know and so i've been pretty successful with that and probably will go with the same distributor um we do have dvds for the ventures documentary and i feel like you know that's something that that genre fans do like they enjoy physical media but it's really hard to get distributors to do dvds nowadays they're just yeah. you know, i guess it's kind yeah. of a dying breed
1: we can see the physical media behind you
2: <laughs> that's right i'm holding on <laughs>
1: I like, the, I like it too because I also like the specials. And you know, you don't normally get that on. Uh, sometimes people are starting to put that out a little bit, like uh, the commentary tracks online, like if you get video on demand, which is interesting. But
2: yeah, usually, yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, yeah, we're filming some behind the scenes, you know, some extras for a possible DVD now as the movie just finished post production. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about getting that out. And I think horror fans will like it too, but mm-hmm. it is not. It's like more sci fi and comedy and music.
1: Oh, most of your stuff, you know, has a music connection. Uh, What's the thought process there, you know, connecting music to to, to different stories you like to tell?
2: Uh, I guess it's just kind of in my DNA. My dad was a musician. He was in the ventures, as we discussed last time I was on the show. Um, so I've always loved music. I cannot play any instruments, so maybe it's just part of a, you know unleashing my frustration that I'm not a musician. But I love to write about it and talk about it and film it. So that's kind of what I'm all about, especially guitar-driven rock. That's my favorite.
1: Well, how about yourself, Kurt? What would you pick for your? Well, you said '70s, but like, uh, who would be your favorite musical artist?
3: Well, actually, uh, well, I've got. A, uh, I love the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. All hail Brian Wilson. Uh, Van Morrison is, I'm a big Van Morrison guy. Um, you know, I like a lot of the bands of the 70s, you know, all the rock bands, a lot of the singer-songwriter stuff. Um, and some of those, you know, went on into the 80s. And then uh, through my daughter, I started getting into the 90s music. So there's some 90s and early early aughts, early 2000s that, that I like um, because of stuff I've gotten heard from her, through her. So,
2: um. yeah, that was actually Kurt's daughter's idea to put a playlist with the series of books, which I thought was brilliant. So yeah, I think great. it's a fun team yeah. effort, definitely.
1: Yeah, I was actually listening to the 70s one on my walk today. On- oh.
2: oh, good, good,
1: good. So if you if there is a 90s version, uh, you, will we see like a grunge, uh, a grunge? Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Well, my plan is to let these kind of breathe yeah. and find an audience first. But yeah, I love the 90s. I like, you know, hip hop of the 90s. I love grunge, um, you know, and Guns N' Roses. They had some good hard rock acts then. Um, but the next books will probably be the nonfiction version of real rock and roll nightmares, including, you know, all the suicides, murders, flame outs, ODs you know, all that stuff. So I'll do that. And then um, a movie version, because there are a lot of really cool rock and roll nightmare horror movies that a lot of people don't know about. Those kind of in the eighties. There were quite a few um, that are really fun, like slumber party massacre Two and black roses and uh, rock and roll nightmare itself. So that'll be fun. So I'll probably have the two nonfiction versions and then tackle the nineties. Trish, do
1: you have another question?
2: Yes, you mentioned that you guys had
0: already collaborated together on Cabaret of the Dead*, which is also known as *Fetish Factory*. So, um, Kurt, I'd love to hear about your experience working on that. And Stacy, if you, you want to talk about uh, what people can expect from the film and where they can get it.
3: Okay, well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Stacy was a great director. Uh, we shot it in five days, I think.
2: That's right, five. At,
3: uh, Five days and almost like 99% of it was shot at the, uh, an old Victorian over on in East LA. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
3: Yeah. And it was a lot of fun playing a zombie. That was actually the first, first horror film I think I'd ever done as an actor. So I got to play a, uh, a, a uh, burlesque show patron, a leering, a leering guy who then because of the plot twist turns into a zombie. And, uh, gets to attack people. Uh, It was cool. It was, uh, we were fresh zombies. So we weren't like walking dead zombies. We were fresh zombies is what the term was. So that was a lot of fun. So we were more, you know, pale and greenish and exaggerated uh, eyes and things. And um, there's a lot of comedy in that too. And that was fun. And uh, I got to do a couple of comic bits in that as a uh, zombie, which was fun. Uh, were you a horror movie fan at all before uh, before the movie? Yeah, uh, yeah, I like I like horror films. I've seen a lot of the you know a lot of the stuff in the last thirty years. Probably I love all the old Universal stuff, um, but uh, you know all the from the Exorcist. Exorcist I love the Birds from the sixties. You know Psycho, uh, the Halloween. You know um, I'm not as immersed in it as Stacy or Trista is but uh, yeah I like it a lot I enjoy a good good scare yeah
0: It was in Echoes of Fear actually
3: I saw that on the on IMDb uh, earlier yeah That's That fun. was a lot of fun I was one of the guys doing awful things with the mask on to uh, to a young woman in there <laughs> So kind of playing Trista's grandfather and was was uh, was he the uncle or just a friend a partner in crime.
0: Oh, it was his cousin.
3: His cousin, right? Your grandfather's cousin. So I was.
0: Brian, <laughs> Brian actually had me
3: play. Brian was in the mask. Brian Abnett Bradley, the director, and he played part of it. And then when I got to doing all the bad stuff, he goes, "Kurt, you're going to do all the bad stuff. We'll just shoot it like it's both of us doing it." But it's so I did all the all the bad stuff uh, that you see in the in the one couple of scenes there. Yeah. Did you? But that I, was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to do that film. And Trista was so good in it. Yeah, it's um, interesting. I, the first time I talked to Trista was for for that movie. Of Fear. That's that's where I met her. I mean, I didn't meet her till actually the uh, at the Scream Fest. The screening of it, the first screening of it. That's how I met her, and then that's how I was going to produce and co-star in a Western Promise. But that's I uh, talked to the director and who I brought to see the movie that night and said. I think Trista Robinson would be, it would be a great promise Sawyer. And so, so we had a couple of meetups and uh, that's how she got, got involved in started promise. All because of uh, echoes of fear. Yeah. Uh, First of all, how
1: how did you know Brian Avenue Bradley to get involved in
3: echoes of fear? Uh, I was actually uh, introduced to him by um, uh, Trista's co-star, Hannah, Hannah, uh, just face right. her last name, Hannah Race, because she's married now. Yeah. And she, I guess, uh, Brian was looking for somebody and she rec- recommended me to Brian to play that one part. So I just went over to his house in Highland Park and hung out with him for uh, an hour or so. And he offered me the part. And we shot it in a big Victorian house in uh, San Gabe, not uh, San Marino, on the edge of San Marino, Pasadena. From 6 at night till 6 in the morning.
1: And uh, we haven't really talked uh, much about Promise, but uh, what was that like to
3: make, a Western? Did you get to ride a horse? Yes, I did get to ride a horse. Uh, not as much in that one as I have in other Westerns, but, yeah, I did get to ride a horse. Um, that was a lot of fun because I had to play. A, I was a, a guy with a one eye, with a pat, eye patch. I played a character named Wild Eye, so I had the, a big patch. And man, do boys always talk like this. Uh, because he had been damaged and hurt and wounded in the Civil War. So he got a Johnny Reb musket butt to the throat, and a bayonet took out part of his eye. That was all the backstory that I came up with. It's been
2: through the ringer, <laughs> definitely. Been through the it ringer. A, yeah, yeah, I mean, was it hard to maintain that voice throughout?
3: You know, it wasn't. Uh, people say, Hi. It, you know, uh, the director, Joe Cornette told me, uh, I want you to sound and look different in this film than you've done in anything else you've done. So I said, okay. Uh, so I spent a weekend uh, working with the, the script, just kind of trying to find a voice, trying to find a voice that I thought. So I found that voice, the Wild Eye voice. And the, that weekend, I had a sore throat from getting it. But once I got it, I never had a sore throat again. So I can just go into that voice for some reason. And now I can't hit the high notes in the Beach Boy song. So I think I've scarred my, my background vocal singing. Oh, uh, no. With the Beach Boys, because I lost, think I've yeah. I think I've lost a little bit on the high range there because of <laughs> Wild Eye, but it uh, was a fun thing to do. But Trista, I got to work with Trista because Trista stars as Promise in Promise Sawyer as Promise Sawyer, and she's fabulous in it and fabulous to work with, and um, very glad that we hired her.
0: Well, thank you. Um, the
3: feeling's mutual. It'd be terrible if it wasn't. <laughs> I know, but it is. That's what's so wonderful about it. Fortunately, it,
0: it is, and I adore you very much. Both all of
3: you. Likewise, it's all likewise. We're, we have a fan club going here, Tristan, and I and Stacy. I mean, Stacy's <laughs> kind of my writing idol because uh, I do write, but I write painfully slow. And Stacy just can write and write and write, and she's so disciplined, you know. So
2: well, that's a long background in journalism with a lot of deadlines. So that's
1: just training. So, um, Stacy, when you mentioned, you know, doing the nonfiction uh, um, in the, in the, um, in the rock and roll uh, nightmares series, uh, what's the difference between writing uh, fiction and nonfiction?
2: Well, first, obvious, obviously, Fact checking involved. You have to be very sure that you are, you know, getting all of your facts correct. Although sometimes in fiction, if you get something wrong, you know, that's historical, people will definitely point it out. Um, so that's something that's different. Um, I don't feel that it's that much of a different writing style. I mean, obviously, if you're writing horror, you're going to get more into the, the blood and gore, which you probably would not want to do when you're writing nonfiction. But, uh, you know, I guess that's. Some people do when those true crime books can be actually pretty chilling. Some that I've read, but um, yeah, it's just a different thing. It's easier to outline a nonfiction story and obviously, you know, how it's going to end. A lot of times when I write fiction, I'll just start something and just kind of dive in and write, not knowing how it's going to end and kind of let the story take me where it will, which you can obviously cannot do with nonfiction.
1: So in your mind, it's still a form of storytelling.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think you have to be engaging and entertaining in nonfiction as well.
1: Uh and when you said like uh so if you start writing a, a fiction story, you let the story you know take you where it's gonna go. Uh, does that affect the length of the story then? Because you know, does it like hey, this is where it should end, or maybe it could it should keep going, or do you have like yeah, a set of I
2: do find that, yeah. I mean, I tend to be pretty succinct in my storytelling, so I, I'm much more comfortable with short stories. I have written quite a few novels, um, you know, including a, a series of novels. And that's more difficult for me, I kind of treat each chapter as a short story to make it easier for me, because it's rather daunting to think, you know, of uh, the hundreds of 1000s of words <laughs> that you have to write if you look at it that way. So um, yeah, I- I'm more comfortable in the short form, but I, you know, can be versatile as I need to be.
1: But there's also the the Trista um, fan club here in the chat room. Uh, we oh, go. Nicholas Hatch, Trista's amazing. Adrian, oh. Della, Trista with a bunch of hearts. So. Oh,
0: <laughs> Nicholas.
2: Yeah.
1: It it's a Trista appreciation careful. night. I like that.
0: I know. I swear <laughs> that's not why I had her and Stacy on the show. But Thank you, Nicholas, very much. <laughs> Um, the is also mutual, um, Stacy, I want to make sure we circle back and you can tell people what to expect from cabaret of the dead and where they can get it.
2: Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Do you want me to tell you about that now? Yeah. Okay. Well, it has been <laughs> out for a few years now, but you can still rent it on YouTube and I believe it's on voodoo. V-U-D-U. B-U-D-U. Um, and maybe on binge horror. I'm not sure because, Um, I was a hired hand to write and direct it. So I didn't really have anything to do with the distribution deal or anything, but I do know it's still out there and watchable. And I actually just got a really fun letter from a new fan who discovered it. And he was quoting all the, you know, the comedy lines in it to me. And I thought that was really cool because I, you know, one of those things where you do something and you move on and you're on to the next thing. So it's fun to still, you know, have, fans discovering the movie. So yes, it is still out there. And it's it's
0: on Pluto TV too. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah.
2: In case people want to find
0: it.
3: It's a fun movie.
2: movie. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's definitely like a, I, I always kind of looked at it as a 1970s low budget, crime house throwback. You know, it's, it's just meant to be fun and easily digestible especially for the zombies (laughs) and then you just, you know, it's not a deep beating whole film, but I I really enjoyed making it because I got to put a lot of my own sensibilities into it because I love burlesque dancers and I love, you know, all the theater of the the music and the makeup and and then the zombies are, you know, they kind of come in and, and decimate it all, but it's, it's just fun.
1: And uh, not to steal Trista's uh, question from before we went live, but she had, said that yeah she really appreciates your range uh, and, and work and um, how, just uh, as far as being interested in, in different things you write like um, you know how's like because you know you write about all these different things uh, is there like I guess this kind of goes back to the fiction and nonfiction is it really just all different forms of storytelling
2: it is I mean I also work for various websites entertainment sites um, this morning I wrote a piece on the new Ridley Scott movie, The uh, House of Gucci. So I'm really interested in fashion. I love that retro, you know, vibe of anything that takes place in the 60s and 70s. So, um, yeah, I try to find things that I like and adapt it to paying work, <laughs> you know. So, so far, so good. But, but yeah, I, I do like to stay within the entertainment realm. I did work for um, a viral news website several years ago. And it was extremely depressing because I would have to wake up super early because it was, you know, East Coast news and then have to report on a lot of politics and murders and police brutality and stuff like that. Where I can do it, but it's not something that I really like to do. So that's kind of, you know, I guess maybe the, the downside of being adaptable is that I say yes to just about every writing job and I, I can do it, but it's not always something that I enjoy.
1: Uh Kurt, when you were when you were writing um your story and you said it was a lot of the music from nineteen seventy-two uh particularly.
3: Uh did you like did you did you listen to the music while you're actually writing it? You know, I did. I went back and refreshed a couple of them. I was I went back to, to listen to intros and outros, because the old DJ, you know, you're used to intros and outros and cueing everything up. So I wanted to uh uh refresh my memory on what the what the, the music what the uh, instruments were doing or how the song started and ended on some places. So that I actually kind of used that, what was going on in the song as transitions from what the character was doing, you know, when he was going from one record to a next and then dealing with uh, the demon that visits him in the studio. And her name is baby. And um, she's really basically the daughter of Satan. And um, she comes out of the record. So but yeah, yeah, I do. I, I listen to a lot of the music from that I use in the story. And then I listened to a lot of other songs going, do I want to use that one? No. Do I want to use this one? No. I pulled together like the top 20 rock songs of 70, 71, 72. Uh, Cause I wanted to decide whether I just wanted everything right in 72 or is, as my experience back in those days in radio, you know, you, of course, you're playing the hits, but you, back then you ha- you had all the freedom to be able to pull. You didn't have to play just the same, the top 20 or whatever, over and over and over again. So, you know, I could throw in something from 71 that was a big hit that still would have been playing in 72, you know, in the autumn of 72. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to go back and tap into some of them. I even discovered a song that I use in the story. It's a, a song by Redbone. Called the Witch Queen of New Orleans, which was a hit, and I had never heard that song in my life until I I loved the title from a list that I was pulled together. So I started listening to the song, but I ended up using it in the uh, in the uh, in the story.
2: Yeah, that's perfect. I think a lot of readers may you know dive into to YouTube or, or Spotify and and discover some new old songs that they didn't know
3: before. And I use a Faces song that I hadn't? I might have known the title that Rod Stewart, the face, before he became Rod Stewart, the Rod Stewart. Um, and actually, uh, I use the record as as a weapon. The, I mean, the I say I do; the character does.
2: Shades of Sean of the Dead, there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but the titles, people pay attention to the titles. Every it kind of all fits in with the uh, the psychology of the story, or the action of the story, you know, or the characters. So. What what uh what do
1: you pay attention to the most when you're listening to the music? For as far as the story goes, is it the sound
3: or is it would it be the lyrics? You know, I writing this story, I paid more attention to the music. I mean, I knew I used the song titles as a DJ. You know, you back in the seventies you hear it on the 70s Cirrus XM DJs that's, that use this style, but nobody uses it in radio anymore. But it's where you would, the DJs were really the, some, a, a style of, of disc jockey would, uh, which I loved, which I did, was you would make plays on, word plays on song titles or, a, or the first line of a story, of a song. So when you were chattering on mic, you know, and you'd hit, you'd, you'd bring the record up and you could either, whatever you were doing, the song, the first line of the song was a punchline to your, Joke, or uh, what was going on? What you're rattling off and and uh, talking about as a DJ? So, but in this there story, probably, probably more it. music. Sure. Go
2: ahead. Oh, I said there's an art to to uh, putting together playlists, whether as a DJ or as uh, you know anyone that's kind of putting together the yeah, flow you, of songs. You, know, right. yeah. you don't, don't want
1: just uh, one rise. You want to <laughs> flow up <laughs> and up and down. Yes. Right.
3: Yeah. I had a lot of fun with this story, I and mean, I'm so thrilled. I've never written a horror story before. I've written a sci-fi story once for a, a collection I'm putting together. It hasn't been published yet, but uh, I've never written a horror. So I was challenged. I was I was very honored and thrilled that Stacy asked me. And then I, after I said yes, and I started thinking, "Oh crap! What did I just agree to?" Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't know if I could do it. I mean, I. Stacy's got a uh, she's got a very high bar because of her her talent and then all of her horror film knowledge and connections and the other writers and everything. So I thought, oh my god, I hope I can. uh, I knew you could write something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You did a great job. No, thank you. A lot of fun.
1: And Stacy has uh, the three books behind her there for uh, Rock and Roll Nightmares. A very cool uh, cover art. Actually, the cover art matches a little bit the skull behind uh, Trista over there.
2: Oh, there we go. You got yeah. a theme going on here.
1: <laughs> so, uh, who uh, who actually did the uh, the artwork?
2: I did. Oh, very cool. Yeah, right. I do some book cover design on the side as well. So, yeah, so I I do have actually a, a background. I used to work for the American Youth Soccer Organization eons ago on their magazine. So I have some, you know, graphic design experience. So I've always loved to be able to put that into play whenever I can. And for me, it was important that the books be – quote unquote, branded, you know, so they would all have a uniform look, but not be too much the same. So for the 60s cover, I have a skull that's fashioned out of marijuana leaves. And then the 70s one is kind of a disco ball skull. And then the 80s one is more of the metal with the two flying V guitars behind it.
1: Would you ever wanna do uh, uh you know film versions of, of any of the three uh books?
2: Uh yeah, you know, I think it would be a pretty interesting anthology, An anthology it could be yeah. something like, you know, those two sentence horror stories or any of those series that have short short form horror, Twilight Zone-esque. Um yeah, it definitely lends itself to cinema. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, uh, when you mentioned earlier, you know, the movie was on Pluto and Voodoo and uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: whatever. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I was just wondering uh, the rise of uh, streaming sites. If the uh, how does that affect you as a you know independent uh, filmmaker? And uh...
2: well, it's been pretty good. I mean, I came along to make films when it was, yeah, I guess, fairly easy to grab a camera. Um, you know, my first short film. Uh, is called The Key to Annabelle Lee, and it stars um, Ogre from Skinny Puppy, who I had actually met on the set of Repo, The Genetic Opera. Um, And so that was shot, you know, with a traditional camera. But, you know, digital cameras have come so far that you can even shoot a good-looking film on your iPhone. I mean, it shoots 4K at 24 frames per second, So I like the fact that it's easier to make a film and the fact that you can get it out on a variety of streaming outlets is really helpful. Certainly with the Ventures documentary, I think we're on, you know, 200 different cable and streaming stations. I can't even keep track of them all, but definitely gives you a crack at a wider audience.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tristan, another question?
0: I'm always interested in what scares horror creators. So do either of you have, or both of you have any fears or phobias that you feel comfortable sharing? We don't want
2: to give anybody ammunition.
3: Let's
2: get Kurt okay. him first.
3: <laughs> well, well s- scary, ho- scary haunted houses scared me like echoes of fear. I jump, I'm the jump in a horror film. I'm, I'm one of the ones that will jump or scream or whatever, or my heart will like go up here and come back down. So any of the traditional, uh, any of those films where it's a haunted, where it's the house that got the demon in it, or the, the, the opening from hell that comes up through the house, you know, like the Amityville or whatever, uh, any of that kind of thing really scares me. Slasher stuff. I like slasher stuff, but it's the haunted house, I think, or the, or the you know, the coming out of the walls or opening the, the closet or being dragged under the bed or coming out of the bathtub. Remember that one?
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. There's been a few like that. And
3: that well, in Echoes of Fear, there's a great scene where Trist is alone in the bathroom and this demon comes up out of the, uh, or a ghost, it's a ghost, I guess, out of the, the bathtub water.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I jumped
3: like hell when that happened you know
2: <laughs> yeah well she <laughs> there's witchcraft in her her new short film so that's pretty creepy too um yeah I love the supernatural stuff too
1: <laughs> hello we gotta, we've got a we gotta surprise. it's a puppy dog
0: oh, he's out of here <laughs>
1: <laughs> I gotta know. yeah myra's like scary stories they spoke in <laughs> Do you have any fears? Or is there, she might not want to divulge them if she mentioned
2: me. Yeah. Did uh, well, well, I mean, things that I find unsettling or or creepy are definitely true crime stories, uh, particularly in in uh, book form. Uh, the The book about the Golden State Killer that came out a couple of years ago. I I remember that one just being extremely creepy. It's really terrifying to think that there really are people like that and that they got away, you know, with it for so long and just to be so um, sadistic and have no conscience whatsoever. That's really creepy to me.
1: Um, You know, when you include uh, real names and real places in um, in fiction, I always think that kind of adds, you know, a reality to the, uh, you know, to the fantasy.
2: Oh yeah, I can definitely lend an air of authenticity. I feel like people can connect with something that we can all understand as a collective group that we're reading, um, in terms of fiction. Um, You know, you have to be careful. I did warn the writers that they couldn't quote any lyrics in the books because that's a copyright issue. So you have to kind of look into the legalities of that as well. But you certainly can't use um, notorious, famous, you know, celebrity people's names. So we do name check, you know, a lot of modern bands in there. But the stories are not necessarily centered on any of those groups. The bands that that the writers created are all fictional.
3: Mm -hmm. I had to be careful that as... Cause in radio and disc jockeys, some, you know, sometimes you'll quote a, a lyric, and Stacy had warned us, so I was, I had to be careful because there was a couple times I was going to, you know, make a, I was just into the story and I'm into my DJ world back in the day, and I'm starting, to, oh, I'll make a play on this lyric. Oh, oh, can't do that. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, the, just the title, just the title. So okay.
1: Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Stephen King the last year uh, during the pandemic. My Walks the audiobooks, and uh, he quotes. Music all the time, but uh, I assume he probably gets. Away. I'm sure
2: he can afford that, right, right, right. <laughs> and his publisher can afford it. Yeah, um, yeah actually, one of his short stories. So honestly, I can't remember which one it was, but he does mention my dad's group, The Ventures, in one of Ooh. his short stories. Oh, so yeah. that was pretty cool when I was a kid because I was a huge fan of Stephen King, and to read that, I was like, "Oh wow, <laughs> Stephen King knows who my dad is."
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so Kerwin Ventures so the- actually. What was that? I'm sorry.
2: Stephen King is in a band.
1: Oh, he is. I actually didn't know. Oh, that. wow.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yes.
1: Yeah. Some of the best writers are, it's like, uh, Michael Moorcock. He's got a band too. in England. It's pretty cool. I have to try to seek that out. I'm interested now to, to listen. Yeah. To. yeah. So I uh, currently asked about your favorite movies. Who, what are some of the, your favorite writers, uh, you know, that inspired you to, to write?
3: Um, I love F Scott Fitzgerald. I, been into him for the last, um, 10 or 12 years, probably. Um, trying to think, um, I like Dan, I, I like, I enjoy thrillers and spy stories and stuff like that. So I, I love Daniel Silva and Brad Thor. I just read Daniel Silva's brand new novel and I'm in the middle of Brad Thor's new one right now. It just came out. Uh, Martin Walker. I love Martin Walker. He's, um, an American, but he lives in France and he uh, writes, uh, he writes a nonfiction, which I've never read as nonfiction. He, was, uh, he writes about politics and uh, the world economics and things in uh, his nonfiction. But his fiction, he has a character called Bruno, uh, who's a chief of police of a small French village in wine country in the southwest of France. And uh, I, he's written about 12 of those, I think. I, I, and the new one's coming out next week. And uh, I adore his. His writing is so good. Um, but as a writer myself, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald is the one I just uh, I really enjoy his like his writing and his short stories and his novels. I read all, you know, all of that, of course, but I'm still going through his short stories.
1: Uh, Stacy, uh, who were some of your favorite writers?
2: Well, that would be a very long list to <laughs> yeah. go through, but, um, I do, I love, you know, certain nonfiction writers. I love, uh, you know, Richard Preston is a great writer. He wrote a lot actually on, um, um, the Ebola virus. And that's another thing that's terrifying is things like pandemics and stuff like that. Um, but actually one of my favorite, you know, newly discovered writers, uh, was kind enough and gracious enough to, uh, agreed to write a short story for me in the 60s version his name is Jeff Strand and he writes comedy horror and he does such a great job of balancing you know the the extreme gruesome scary horror books um, but with comedy so it's hard to straddle that line and he does a great job I just read one of his novels called Wolf Hunt, which is about um, a werewolf that's being transported by a couple of mobster types across country and, and things go horribly wrong. So it's very, very gruesome and a, and a great adventure. Um, you know, so there's that. Uh, Grady Hendrix is another writer who I really enjoy. Um, and let's see. I used to read a lot of Anne Rule. That's another nonfiction writer that I enjoy. Chevy Stevens. So yeah, I mean, there's so many good writers out there right now. It's, it's a great, um, bounty for us readers.
1: Yeah. Now I know, um, you have a, you have at least one book on audible. Uh, w- would you ever put, uh, any of the, uh, rock roll, uh, nightmares on audible audio? Uh,
2: yeah, we are in the process actually oh, of recording you. the audio books right now. Um, Two of the authors in the 70s version, Graydon Schlichter and Leanne Rowe, are also audiobook narrators who uh, have done my uh, my Vampire series, the other book series, and um, they wrote two stories and they're narrating that edition. And then I have two other narrators, Jennifer Knighton and Andy Garrison for the 60s and 80s versions. And actually, Kurt... Um, Narrated one of my audio books. I have a very short collection called Keepsakes, and uh, he did a story about an evil dentist who's quite creepy. So, yeah, I mean, most of my books actually are available yeah. on Audible. I love to have that option because I myself, you know, about half the time I listen to audiobooks rather than read.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan because uh, I walk a lot, so I'm always listening to audiobooks while I'm walking.
2: Yeah, that's exactly how I get mine.
1: Very cool. I'm gonna actually, uh, I'm gonna get some of them on
3: Audible. So, Kurt, you actually read yours? No, I re- no, I don't. I read uh, one of Stacy's her first audiobook. I read it was three short stories, I think. Yeah,
2: that was just a very short collection called Keepsake. And, I, and the I
3: read book I book. read one of those. I read uh, about the dentist and, the, and an evil tooth fairy. Yeah, I think dentist.
2: it'd be fun for you to to hear how someone else, a different narrator, interprets your story, Kurt. I think. Yeah, please.
3: I want to hear. I can't, I can't wait to hear Johnny Handsome brought to life. Johnny <laughs> a disc yeah. jockey in the, in my story, and uh, I know how I would do it, but I would like. I'd love to hear. Yeah. I'm looking forward to how how someone else does it. Mm-hmm. What was that
1: experience like to uh to do an audio uh, to read you know a book for for uh, to do
3: the audio book? It was great. Uh, that was the only for the first and only I've done, um, and there. The engineer had a little home studio kind of thing. I was in a basically a closet with a little control board and the microphone, the earphones, but literally in a a little like coat closet, soundproofed as where I was reading, you know. And um, so it was a lot of fun. It was it's it's a skill that um, I think I pulled it off. You know, but but I don't know how someone reads a whole novel. That I mean, that's that's a lot of work a lot of uh, talent i think in that
2: yeah it is a major undertaking there's also a lot of audio editing that they need to do and um, make sure that all their sound levels are even throughout and they have to often uh take on a variety of different characters within one book so yeah i definitely my hat's off to them because it is a real skill and a talent
1: yeah yeah, uh, when I listened to The Stand last year, it was like a 40-something-odd uh, run time. So 40-something oh, hours. Uh,
2: okay.
1: <laughs> I, was, I thought like, how I'm thinking. Yeah, of-
2: I'm partway through a, I think it's a 27-hour audio book about Mary Shelley's life, which is oh, exhaustively researched and mm. extremely interesting. But yeah, it's. It's massive. Yeah. You, so it's, it is definitely an undertaking. Whenever I drive, say, from Las Vegas, where I live now, to LA, that's my first go to is an audiobook.
1: Yeah. When you On mentioned the road, they're great. Mm hmm when you mentioned pandemics being scary, I started listening to the stand last year, not because of the pandemic. It was just, I was wanting to read it and I never did. Mm-hmm. And it was right when everything started and we didn't know how bad things were going to get. And it was the beginning of the stands all about things just starting. And I just stopped listening to it. I was like, I don't think. for Yeah. One of my favorite
2: books, I believe I've read that two or three times and uh, it goes hand in hand with uh, the camp. McCammon's uh, Swan Song. I don't know if you've read that one, but that's a similar kind of uh, dystopian, post-apocalyptic, epic horror novel.
1: Cool. I'll uh, make note of that. Tristan, uh, do you have another question?
2: Yeah, Stacey, can you talk a little bit
0: about um, excessive nuanced productions and what your mission is or what you specialize
2: in? Uh, well, so far, it's just you know me producing my own stuff. <laughs> so that's really the mission I I don't plan on getting into film production in a major way. Um, but I do love to be able to just take control of, you know, my own destiny, so to speak, as a filmmaker or as an author. So that's my LLC company to do these and produce these things. But, um, yeah, I don't really have any lofty ambitions for it. It's just, um, you know, to kind of be the, the name of, of things that I put out.
1: So, uh, rock and roll nightmares. All three of them. People can uh, find them on Amazon uh, on your website.
2: Right. Yes, my website. They can get signed copies at a discount, which is nice. Uh, Amazon paperbacks, and then as for the eBooks, they're just about everywhere. You can buy eBooks. You know, they're at Barnes and Noble and Nook and iTunes and Amazon, uh, the Kindle. Version and then the audiobooks will be on Audible exclusively probably at the end of August or early September. Oh,
3: so not, not too and for Los Angeles people, we'll have a live signing at Dark Delicacies.
2: That's right. Yes. August 22nd, we will be at the wonderful Dark Delicacies bookstore in Burbank, California, which is posted uh, many in for me. They're always so supportive of the indie horror community, and um, we're really looking forward to doing that and meeting some folks.
3: Very good. And uh, where can people follow you, Kurt? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, just at Kurt Lambert, uh, C-U-R-T. Um, you know, and I'm on Facebook, but, you know, Instagram's probably the best.
2: Yeah,
1: very good. <laughs> And uh, anything uh, coming out that you would like people to uh, check out?
3: I'll well, they can, they can check out Promise, starring Trista, Trista Robinson and myself and Joe Cornett and uh, James Henderson and Kelly, Carrie Goodwin, um, Maude Bimini, Benani. Uh, I have a horror film that's getting ready to come out called Vampires on a Boat. That's directed by Mark Allen Michaels, and it stars Carrie Keegan, Dallas Valdez, myself, um, and some uh, it's a wonderful cast, and it's a lot of lot of fun. It's going to be a good crowd pleasing movie, I think. Uh, yeah, and it,
2: it is. I was lucky enough to get a sneak peek at that, and um, it's pretty wild. I mean, how can you go wrong with vampires on a boat, right? And I wonder, yeah. you
3: know what what's it about? Oh, it's about vampires. On a boat. <laughs> the
2: title says it all.
3: It's about yeah. werewolves on a train.
2: <laughs> no
3: false advertising on that one. Yeah. <laughs> And then I have some a couple three more westerns coming that I've just uh, just filmed filmed one in January a short that's out now I no it's not out yet and then um, a um, another western called Assault on Rio Bravo uh, which stars Alexander Nevsky and Matthias Hughes and uh joe Cornet directed and stars in that as well and then there's another western with uh i was so lucky to do in june with a big couple big names that i'm not allowed to talk about right now but i'm so excited about it it just kind of came out of nowhere and was such a great experience so um that one i'm just not i had to sign it in you know couldn't i can't talk about it yet but it'll be cool you're really cool
1: very good well this is very uh very fun to have you both on
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Thank us. you for thank
3: you for letting
1: us allowing us. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anytime. Hey, you guys thank are always you, welcome back. Yeah.
0: Congratulations.
3: Thank you. <laughs> congratulations on your your win at the Calgary International Independent Film Fest. Thank you. Thank you. We have a best actress as our as your co-host. Oh, thank
1: you. Oh. No.
0: It's yeah.
1: I, it's honestly been great a great addition to the show having Trista uh, join. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Is today my birthday? What is happening hey, hey, hey,
1: thank,
0: you guys. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. I love seeing your faces, and thank you again um, for joining us today.
3: Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you, everybody. We'll see everyone next week. Well, actually, right. Saturday, too. Uh, Several. Oh, yeah. 6, our short horror film festival starts uh, Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, and all the other time zones you can figure it out. And, uh, Thirty short films, like twenty-eight uh, filmmakers. It's gonna be a good time.
2: Wow! I know what I'll be doing on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, cool. always
1: a good time. I always look forward to those. Now, yeah, it's very fun. I have a live chat room with the filmmakers and uh, oh wow, and the viewers. So Ooh. it'll be it'll be fun, and it's free for everybody. Love One it. One night only. That sounds great. Good times. <laughs> uh, Trista will be uh, involved in that too. She has a film in there. All right. Good night, everybody.
2: Bye.
3: Good night. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley,
0: we should have listened.
3: The tomb of Nick
2: Cage. Night. Night. Night.
0: Night.
3: Night. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage.